This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o tangata o Manawatu. It is Friday. Thank you. It is Friday. Uh, and so we turn our attention to central government. Obviously, last week we spoke to Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki. Today we speak to MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikere Morena. Morena, I love Fridays. Too. Yes, yeah, yes. I, it couldn't come uh, quick enough. I'm off to Greytown this afternoon. Are you? I'm going to spend the weekend oh, in Greytown. Actually, a few people tend to go to Greytown and the Wadarapa. I've never been. Haven't you? No. Nope. Well, I think you'll enjoy it. Their, their square is just a little bit different to our square. It's mm-hmm. much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's no, it's a nice place to, to go away for a weekend. So. If, if, you, if, you, if anyone has uh, any hints with regards to which particular wineries I should be attending over the course of the weekend, Fraser at NPR.nz, please. The, you. There you go, because there, there are a few down there as well. Mm. But no, we'll enjoy. I'll be at the New Zealand Labour Party annual conference I online. know where I'd rather be. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, chance to catch up on things that have been happening on a sort of national front, but also with uh, a look at some local issues. Uh, Of course, dominating the headlines uh, this week. And uh, I mean, it's a hugely contentious issue. Uh, The Pekka Pekka long-tailed bat won bird of the year. Yes, it did. And some say, well, I'm told it's not actually a bird. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But some of my colleagues were advocating for different birds um, I myself actually voted for the feel, the blue duck. Right, yes. Uh, but, um, yeah, the pick a pick a bat. Here we go. Yes, well, uh, as very content. My, my daughter voted for the bat, uh, I'm led to believe. Um, but, yes, uh, highly contentious. But, I mean, all jokes aside, bird of the year is a great way to draw attention to a species in danger, and the pekka pekka is, is, is that. It is. It's highly endangered from what I understand, and, and you know that's what I'd heard over, over the course of the week. Mm. But yeah, you're right. It's a great opportunity for people from all walks of life to take a bit of time out and to reflect on who they think should be bird of the year. Um, it seems to come around really quickly, mm-hmm. um, but I know that, that many people have different reasons for their choices, and that's all good and well, probably very similar to... Um, when they do other sorts of choices. Um, well, speak, speaking of which, uh, vaccinations and COVID and, yeah. and an update on that front, I mean, 90% just seems utterly unachievable right now, doesn't it? Well, what I would say is, you know, I'm advised the latest stats here are 93% in Palmerston mm. North. Um, that's what I was informed yesterday. That's th- that's first dose. Yeah, um, the I've, region I've is got, a bit lower than that. Ah, Palmerston North. Yeah, because yeah, Mid Central is at eighty-seven, and that's the the stats that I have here. That's right. So I think from memory, Fraser, when we look at um, you know Horofenua, Otaki, Tararua, Manawatu, and Palmerston North, which is uh, other subregions mm. for Mid Central. Mm-hmm. Palmerston North is doing the best out of all of them. But that doesn't but mean anything. Because no, because we've got to take D- this a global global well, approach. DHB, DHB yeah, and DHB. you know, all, all DHBs have to hit that 90 before we transition to the new traffic light system. And it's so, not looking good because I mean, you look at Taranaki, still, uh, they're at 85%. But I, I tend to look at the second doses to give us a, a, an idea of timeline. And Taranaki's second dose is still at 68%. I mean, yeah, it, and, and I don't know, you probably have seen some of the modelling as well that's there that sort of indicates when um, 
each DHB will hit roughly mm. that I have uh, ninety percent. Yeah, so there, it, it sort of indicates for mid century, and I appreciate that there are other DHBs mm. that are um, are below the line, and others that are above the line. We're we're sort of just middle of the pack, or just above middle of the pack, and the projections are based on modelling. We will hit the ninety percent uh, around about the eighth or ninth of December. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Tairafati, which you know, with recent events up there as well, is just being hammered. Um, in terms of weather events, but that aside, mm-hmm. uh, that that was more looking towards some time in, in early next year. Yeah. Um, and that was the last cab off the rank, effectively. And uh, I saw an interest, because you look at the numbers and it doesn't look too bad, but when you look at vaccine uptake uh, for Maori and Pacific compared with non-Maori and non-Pacific, it's everything is just below bar, below average. Again, Maori and Pacific are, um, are unfavorably represented in the stats. That's right. Um, and you know, here locally, and this is tends to be generically across the board as well. Our Pacifica are less than our non-Maori, non-Pacific stats, but are higher than our Maori stats. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it does indicate that we we do need to be doing some work in our Maori and Pacifica communities. And I know the DHB are looking to. To, to ramp that up a bit, and I've been having conversations with our providers in the community. We had Penny Henry, who's the Associate Minister responsible for health, uh, visit us last week. He visited Horofanua, is, is sort of doing a number of roadshows around the country, mm. um, and meeting with providers. And so, you know, what was interesting was one provider locally here, um, where there was still a steady stream of people coming through. That was on a Thursday afternoon. Um, I know the DHB are going to have another push around because we obviously had the the Super Saturday, and now coming up to that three week three week opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now we hook into our our second dose. It's been a, a criticism of the government right the way through this is the. The lack of education, the lack of correct information, getting out, connecting with communities uh, with regards to the first dose or even now or in particular demographics like Maori or just general vaccine hesitancy. Everyone has been saying, where's the detail? Where's the information? And I mean, you're just you've just said now that the stats are showing detail and information is required, but this is not new news. What what are we doing to connect with these people? Yeah, that's a good point because um if we reflect on government, what we've announced in the last week or so um, is an increase in resourcing, particularly to target our Māori communities. Mm. And I do but know I mean, that the that writing make... was on the wall a couple of months ago that with the additional resourcing was required to uh, to interact with these communities. So why why wait till now? There, there has been additional resourcing available to DHBs, and it's been over to DHBs, and, and that's appropriate. I mean, it's, it's over to DHBs to be effectively having an oversight at the moment over how the provider Providers are engaging and, di- and directly liaising and communicating with their communities. Um, so there has been resource, and I know for example here in the mid-central DHB there has been resource available for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DHBs have been using that. There is additional resource particularly to target our Māori and Pacifica communities. And what that looks like for example here locally is you know conversation with Titihi, who which is an umbrella organisation for a number of our providers such as Te Wakahuia, mm-hmm. our base out in Highbury and beyond, um, Whakapaiho Order based out in, in Awapuni and beyond and other providers within the mid-central region means for them they're able to have I think four or five mobile um, units that have been kitted out and will go into some of these hard to reach um, places and some people might say well you know what does that mean Tangi? Well what it means actually is for example if we're looking at our region that there are some really difficult rural areas where 
they require the resource to go into these mm-hmm. places rather than expect people to come to a particular site. Yep. And it's the same here in Palmerston North. You know, my conversations with the DHB, while it's it's good to see that, for example, they step up or stand up the um, arena as a central location, mm-hmm. where you have transportation issues outside of Super Saturday where Horizons put on free buses and those sorts of things, that's not going to make it easier as a choice for people to want to engage and go and get the vaccination. So some of these mobile units we might find in urban areas then? Yeah, you will. You will. Um, you know, for example, if we look at our four hotspots locally, they are Roslyn, Westbrook, Highbury, Awapuni. Now, that won't come as any surprise mm. to you. It certainly didn't come as any surprise to me when the ministry provided those heat maps in terms of where the low uptake is. Um, and there's a little bit of flux with those stats, of course, depending on where people live and where they get the vaccination. Um, but I expect to see these different organisations using those mobile units to go into some of these urban areas. Palmerston North, as an electorate, is wholly urban. Mm. There is no rural component yep. to my seat, yep. um, if, if we're honest yep. about it. So, you know, that, 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 that's a quote. That's going on a T-shirt. There, well, is, there is no rural component to my no seat. No rural geographical component <laughs> to my seat. Um, but you know what it means is that it gives a bit more flexibility. It's easier to resource some of these hardworking vaccinators to get out. You know, I mean, Super Saturday was great in the sense that we had a stand-up or pop-up clinic at... Um, the softball, mm-hmm. you know, going to where people are, are gathering and having events. Um, and so I know that it will make a huge difference. But what I'm hearing from uh, those local providers is that while this is a resource for COVID, actually it needs to be more of a connector than that so that people don't see just the COVID van coming in and never see it again, you know, but it's an opportunity for some of those childhood IMS. Um, to be delivered in that way and the like. Um, I mean, the, the, the ultimate outcome is that nine out of ten of the eligible population will be double vaxxed by Christmas. But I see uh, your uh, former colleague Brent Barrett uh, shared an article on f- uh, Facebook the other day um, claiming that the Seventh-day Adventist church were putting on events where people could go and get exemptions for the vaccine signed by medical professionals. Um, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous, it's yeah. I mean, that, 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 it's not worth the paper it's written on. Well, th- that's correct. You're spot on. It's, it's not worth because the, the system in terms of how that is managed and how that is approved has not been signed off. But yet. it shows you that, you know, the one in 10 that are not going to be vaccinated are really mobilised on this one. Well, I, I was concerned that, you know, that these clinics, and I'll use that word, for exemptions and signing opportunities were happening in in my in our community, mm-hmm. and I want to thank the constituents that actually reached out to my office uh, to bring this to our attention because I I did forward that to the DHB mm-hmm. um, and handed it over to them, and I understand that you know there were others that that did the same, but these are as I understand it people who are seeking to rip people off. Yeah, you know, like the, the, you're right, they're not worth the paper that they're written on. Um, there there needs to be a, a process for genuine individuals who for legitimate reasons around and who, who may choose to, mm-hmm. you know, they want to get the vaccination, but for some reason they medically or perhaps other reasons are not able to. And there needs to Do, be is a, there a process. Pro- is there a process for that uh, at the moment? Because the traffic light system obviously depends on us getting to 90. And if, if Mid-Central's sitting at 89, mm-hmm. but the reason we're not at 90 is because there's a couple hundred people that legitimately 
can't have it but are not included in the stats because that process hasn't been worked out, then we, we stay in the alert level system for a bit longer. So is there a process for getting an exemption? Yeah, there is. Um, and I know that um, that's yet to be announced in mm. terms of how that will be moderated and who will be authorised and all of those sorts of things. And Chris Hipkins had touched on that, and I think Dr Bloomfield as well, during the course of the week. Mm-hmm. I'm not fully over what that will look like, but what I what I do know in light of the concerns that have been raised with me over the last 48 hours or so about the event that you talked about, mm-hmm. um, that we also raised that with the Minister's office, and so the response came through. Um, I think at the one pm press briefing that you know that they were not legit and that there was a process that was being rolled out mm-hmm. um so yeah and and I think we need to also respect that you know that there are some people for whatever reasons they they can't have the vaccination um or can't be vaccinated just like there are some who have exemptions for mask use because yeah. they're not able to and you know you may have seen some I've seen some people out and about that have um, that, and it's it's just part and parcel of our community. Are you finding that the DHBs are still operating effectively? Because obviously the Piora uh, Healthy Futures Bill is, is coming in. This is the reform of the health system, which would mean an end to DHBs. Um, I have been, uh, I've had the misfortune of working in a job that I knew wasn't going to exist in a, a few months. Uh, and I was basically just treading water until the end of it. And there is a danger that people within DHBs will just tread water because what's the point? Yeah, it's a good point to make. And, you know, the government has been very clear that this whole reform process is about ensuring that those in our community, wherever you live in this country, have equitable and equal access to health care. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, that's what we should be doing. It's a fundamental right. Um, but it's also made it clear that those who are on the front line, you know, our nurses, um, those who are in, in healthcare opportunities, um, that that their jobs are not under threat around this. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I appreciate so it's just the that, elected officials. That well, I, I appreciate that some may say, you know, well, you, you're rolling out this reform, but at the same time, you're expecting DHBs to deliver more in the mm-hmm. sense that you know you're asking more of them than you ever have before, perhaps. Um, I expect DHB staff to be professional, certainly all the ones local, and I can only speak for my local DHB, where when we're talking about Super Saturday, I was the, the, the lead MP across the region, for, across the entire parliament, mm-hmm. um, coordinating comms between the DHB and, and MPs, um, have been very professional around this because they understand that they're engaged to do a job. Um, and that's what they need to do. So where are we in the process of, of this Healthy Futures Bill? Because this, I mean, it's a huge job to create a new system, dismantle an old one, create two systems because we've got the, 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 the Māori-specific uh, healthcare component as well. Uh, where are we in this process? Yeah, so there, there are four components to this reform. One is the, the Health New Zealand, which will effectively replace DHBs across the, the country with mm-hmm. just one entity. The other is the Māori Health Authority, which is a commissioning agency working alongside um, the Health Health New Zealand, but primarily its focus will be on increasing um, equity outcomes for Māori, uh, which, I mean, this is a prime example. You know, we're talking about the, the vaccination rates in Māori are well and truly mm-hmm. behind others. The other two components are around the Ministry of Health and what that looks like in terms of policy advice to the government. It's a, it's a, a scaled-down um, approach, I guess you could say, and the other is a dedicated public health 
mm-hmm. unit focus within the ministry. Um, so Parliament last week we we sat and we've passed the first reading of, of that bill. So that has now gone to a select committee. Parliament has established a separate brand new select committee just to deal with um, the health reform legislation. Okay. Um, and so this, Because it's so big. Because it's so big and it wants to dedicate all of that, that resource and time to that rather than um, having the health select committee, you know, progress that alongside COVID mm-hmm. um, stuff and, and the general health um, responsibilities that that select committee has. So that will uh, get underway sometime soon because it's been referred to that select committee and they'll be open for um, submissions. Is there, a, 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 I suppose there would be some personnel crossover that would mitigate this, but if there is in essence a select committee that's dealing with the, the current model and how it's working in current situations and a completely separate select committee dealing on the future of the health system, without the crossover, there's a, a danger that details and learnings from what we're going through now yep. might be missed. Yep, you're right. And that's why to mitigate that, um, there will be members of the current health committee. I'm on the health committee, but I um, I, I mean, we'll, we'll see what the numbers look like and, and who the people are. But there will be uh, individuals from the health committee that will be on that particular committee mm-hmm. and also uh, members of the Māori Affairs Select Committee as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that is a risk, but that's been mitigated um, by having, you know, effectively individuals from across the, the parties, across the House, who are on health sitting on this new committee. Um, it, it's not new that the Select Committee process has been used before. It's been used... Um, the last parliament with the abortion legislation mm-hmm. that went through the House so that the MPs that are on that committee can just focus purely yep. on what's in front of them. Uh, another thing that has uh, is health-related that has dominated uh, headlines, particularly in the local government part of uh, newspapers, is Three Waters yeah. and the, the news that this will be mandated. There is no opt-out. Uh, councils will be handing over their assets and um, uh, the government will be taking over responsibility for the three waters. Uh, I have spoken to um, Helen Warboys uh, on the catch-up. I don't think I've ever heard her quite so animated uh, and desperate to get that information out that she she and the council are not happy with this at all and there will be pushback. Um, this is not the way you'd want uh, three waters reform to happen, surely? Well, I think what I want is uh, for people to understand what the three reforms package is about. Mm. And I think that there has been a lot of... Um, you know, scaremongering when it comes to this. I do have to point out, though, that, you know, I've had a couple of constituents that have asked me to resign because of this, Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not reflecting the will of constituents in my local city council. I have to point out to those two people um, that actually my city council is fully unanimously in support of the reform Mm -hmm. package. Um, And they've been quite vocal about that. So, you know, as the local member for Palmerston North, my my one council is completely endorsing um, this approach. Um, But that's one of six out of how many councils? uh, 67. Yeah. So, I I mean, you know, when we look at the stats, we're talking about, well, one, we're talking about job opportunities, what this will mean for our economy will boost, I think, from about $14 billion to $23 billion into the, well, not the local, but into the domestic economy over the next 30 years. Mm 
um, that currently when we're looking at the 67 councils, there are about 42 or 43 that currently don't generate enough revenue just to cover the provision of their water services, and, let and alone uptake and increase in infrastructure. And, and it was it was, it was was quite interesting because Helen Warboys uh, is thrilled with the new standards. You know, we have a standard yep. for the three, but well, that's excellent. She acknowledges that a lot of councils aren't doing well, but she doesn't see why this sort of one-size-fits-all approach should be rolled out when there are councils doing well that don't need a great deal of support. She is totally open to the government throwing money at councils that can't do it properly to get it up and running. Why do you have to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, in effect? Because when you – it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but when you look at the, the domestic picture – and we've talked about this before, and we've talked about the, the three waters approach and the Scottish water entity and the um, independent review. Which and apparently is not a good model to is, follow. Which has um, been undertaken. But every single council in New Zealand, longer term, will be better off. So while Manawatu might say that, you know, we've just upgraded and we don't have any issue, actually their ratepayers and residents over the longer term under the current model will be worse off than the proposed reform. Um, and so, again, I, I invite people to actually take a step back and to reflect at what this looks like in a longer term, but also that this is about protecting the health and well-being of our communities. And while some councils might say, we can do that fine, thank you very much, mm-hmm. in the longer term, uh, it's going to cost more. Um, there is perhaps no certainty there. And so that's why the government have decided that this is something that is absolutely required to protect future generations. So that's a cast iron guarantee that when this happens, we will see reductions in our rates because councils won't be dealing with water anymore. And whatever the government is doing as a, as a new bill or a new part of the rates bill that yep. says water charges will be significantly less than what we were paying in rates before. Provided that you look at this over a longer term, mm. you know, and and if I put my – well, with my experience in terms of local government, it's all very easy to look at one rates bill from one year to the next. But when you look at one rates bill from year one to what one would look like in year 10, a lot of it is dependent on forecasting, yes, but a lot of it is also dependent on the decisions that were made earlier on. And so what we're saying is if you were to look at a, a rates bill at year 10 or year 15 um, – it would be significantly higher in terms of water provision than it would be if these changes um, were actually implemented. Very good. We are here with Tangi Utikere, Memo o Parimata o Papaioia for the catch-up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Um, I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, firearm prohibition because this is uh, meant to be the next phase of the, the government's approach to firearms. And um, the, the, we, we've heard of the, the, the shooting up in mm. Mangaray, the innocent family caught in gang warfare. I mean, grow up people. Um, also, we in Palmerston North uh, on Coventry Street, there was That's a right. shooting uh, this week. Um, guns are still out there. They're being used uh, to, to be glib inappropriately. Um, and this was always, uh, again, the writing was on the wall with this as well. The, the, the legal rightful gun owners brought their guns in as part of the, the amnesty. Yep. Uh, after March 15, uh, everyone did their job. That's all going well. But the illegal firearms owners obviously didn't bring them in. They've still got them. How are we going to get these guns out of the hands of the people that actually are the problem? 
Yeah, and, and, and that's disappointing. I mean, you know, um, Coventry is not far from where I where I live in the city. And so the other night when I was driving home, I saw that basically most of that, well, that whole street had been shut down by mm. the police as a result of, you know, the horrific um, event that had And they haven't found the shooter yet either. No, and, and so, you know, what this signifies is that, that there is somewhat of, of an issue where we still have people in our community that have access to firearms who shouldn't. Um, and part of the government's response around that is uh, targeting police with the, the resourcing, I guess, to do something about it, um, not just around firearms, but actually resources that are, that are being seized. You know, we have huge numbers of resources that have been seized by way of, well, from people who undertake organised crime. Mm. Um, and so it is, it is an ongoing piece of, of work, I accept that, um, but it is something that, yes, the buyback scheme was was the first tranche, so to speak. Well, there were a couple, actually, tranches around that. Um, but there, there obviously needs to be some focus around that. Um, you know, we've talked previously about how the police respond to things, and, and we've talked about increases in frontline staff, but also the tactical response units. Is Cabinet talking about the, the next phase of this now? Because, again, there are calls for this to be ramped up because, again, th- this was always the, 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 the thing. All the, the people that protested against the buyback scheme and the amnesty were saying, we're not the problem. The problem are the illegal gun owners, and this doesn't tackle that issue at all. I think the problem is access to firearms, right? Mm, mm. And so, yes, the first first phase was basically to allow those um, law-abiding citizens, if we can call them that, to to return their their guns. And and, and clearly, there is still uh, some gun. Well, there still are some guns in, in circulation. We all know that. Um, I don't know what cabinet has said this week, but I knew, do know from my conversations with the minister of police that you know she is serious about um, ensuring that there is a crackdown on on firearms. Um, and the way in which we can do that is by resourcing the police adequately. It, well, that's that's going to be interesting because at the moment the police uh, don't feel appropriately resourced to deal with boy racers in Longburn, let alone firearms owners. Yeah, and I know that's it, that's a, a local issue. Um, I know that the I'm council, sure it's reflected across the country as well, though. I'm sure it can be reflected in many parts uh, of the country. Longburn falls outside of my seat, but nonetheless, it is a local issue. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I know I've I've raised this with the local constabulary around you know what they're doing out at Longburn. They have said actually that they will respond to um, reports and requests when they come through. Likewise, I see that the council have considered this. There is an option around a local bylaw mm-hmm. as well, um, and there are options around different street mechanisms. Like, but that's over to the council. Bylaw, the appropriate answer, because I mean they're breaking the law anyway. Yes, they are, um, but this is a response that that is available to the council, mm. and I won't speak for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that you know I've, I've had um, certainly representations to my office about this specific issue, and so I've pointed them in the direction of of the council. Now that some people did go and make a submission around that, um, but the council, as I understand it, as recently as this week, is still looking into uh, the matter. Yeah, um, but. 
yeah, look, I mean, getting back to resourcing, yes, police do have an ongoing resourcing issue. We have as a government committed to increase and improve resourcing. We have um, in the space of tactical response as well. Um, people may have seen in the last week that the Central Districts has been announced as one of those areas where we will be uh, rolling out that tactical response, which is, you know, not just an increase across frontline staff to how to deal with different situations. Um, that will be for all police officers but actually dedicated tactical response units um, being rolled out here in three other places across the country. Uh, my poor time management skills taking hold. We've got about 30 seconds right. to at least just uh, go hip hip hooray for the establishment of the Ministry for Disabled Persons. That's a long time coming. Yeah, it is. And this is something that you know we've announced in the last week or so. Um, Carmel Cipollone and Andrew Little have been leading out on that piece of work. Um, also, actually, just a shout out for the Enabling Good Lives people mm-hmm. who have met with me previously here locally. You know, their pilot here has been so successful that it's going to be rolled out across the country. And in short, that's about ensuring that people have dignity, that people who have particular disabilities are able to make choices for themselves and to participate just like any other person in our community. Marvellous. Tangi Utikere, Mema of Parimata for Palmerston North. Thank you for joining us on the Catch Up this Thank morning. Thank you, Tena Fraser. Enjoy the weekend. And if you want to listen to this or previous editions, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Back on Monday with another edition uh, with Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotion. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.